Welcome to this week's episode of Free Circle Freedoms. I'm Ed Waters, your host, and this week we dive back into our readings of Visualized American Government 1964 edition. This week we are going to cover the President's Cabinet, also District Residents. Let's not hesitate, let's dive right into Free Circle Freedoms. President's Cabinet. The American Cabinet, like the English body of the same name, is an outgrowth of unwritten usage. The Constitution merely suggests that the President may secure written opinions from the heads of departments. Washington, realizing the need for a closer relations with the heads of the departments, began to hold regular meetings with them. He wanted to get advice through personal conferences in which all department heads were present, rather than through the exchange of written reports. The heads of the department thus became a cabinet of advisors, since Washington's successors in the presidency followed his practice. The cabinet assumed the position of an official advisory body to the president. Except that tradition demands it, the president is not required to hold meetings of the cabinet, nor is he obliged to follow its advice. President Jackson placed more reliance upon the counsel of a group of intimate friends known as the kitchen cabinet rather than upon his regular heads of departments. Franklin D. Roosevelt, especially during the first term of his presidency, relied heavily for advice upon an informal group of experts and personal confidence known as the Brain Trust. From 1913 to 1947, the cabinet consisted of the heads of the regular 10 executive departments. In 1947, with the unification of the armed forces, this number was reduced to nine. In 1953, the number of the departments was restored to 10 when the Federal Security Agency was raised to the cabinet status by President Eisenhower. It became the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, following occasional precedents of the past, it has become customary to include the Vice President and the Director of the Bureau of the Budget at the Cabinet meetings. District Residents the Constitution merely stipulates that a representative must, when elected, be an inhabitant of the state in which he shall be chosen. Considerations of practical politics, however, dictate that he generally must reside in the congressional district in which he stands for office. Sometimes 
congressmen are forced to resort in renting and maintaining living quarters in their district when they occupy as their legal residence. It is argued in defense of this custom that a residence of the district is better acquainted with its needs and therefore more fully qualified to represent it than an outsider. In reply, it may be said that the representatives are elected to a national legislator and should be selected on the basis of their ability to deal with the national policies and problems rather than local issues. It may be noted that under the British system, a candidate for the House of Commons may stand for election in any district in the United Kingdom. Such outside candidates are actually quite common and unconcealed in Great Britain. Before we wrap up this week's episode, we'd like to say thank you to Rich Roberts. You can find Rich Roberts over on Twitter or right here on Anchor at Fireman Rich. Also, we'd like to remind you to go over to deadamerica.website, grab our RSS feed for our other podcast, Dead America. It's a great listen also. going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Free Circle Freedoms. I sure hope you liked this week's read. If you did, please share, like, and subscribe, and join us right here next week when we dive back into Visualized American Government 1964 edition. We will cover legislative procedures, also control of the speakership by the majority party. You don't want to miss it. Join us next week, right here on Anchor. I'm Ed Waters, out.